Let's open our Bibles, please, to the 11th chapter of the book of Exodus. Bring us up to date. We've had in chapter 1, Israel in bondage. We had uh, the birth of a deliverer, that is Moses. We had the call and commission of Moses in the third chapter, his credentials in the fourth chapter, and conflict begins between Pharaoh and Moses in the fifth chapter and the, and the sixth. And then we find chapter 7 through 11, we have ten judgments and four compromises. Chapter 7 through 11, that's the section we're in right now. And then chapter 12 will be the, the Passover. And chapter 13, the sanctification of the firstborn. And chapter 14, the crossing of the Red Sea. Chapter 15, the song of redemption. And chapter 16, manna. And we'll go on and on from there. But we're in the section that has to do with the completion of these ten judgments. In fact, the last one is before us. Of the judgment of the death of the firstborn. And this is the last one of the judgments that have fall, that will fall upon uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And we've already had Pharaoh try to compromise with Moses four different times, and those compromises were rejected. But in chapter 11, we got down to verse 5. Now, if you'd like uh, some more information about these ten judgments and, and the various things that we've studied, we can go back and give them to you at any time. So we'll pick up in chapter 11, verse 5. <clears throat> and this is judgment number 10. And we read verse 5 where it says, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From, Pharaoh, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. Uh, we read that last week and pointed out that it says in verse 5, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Or in our last lesson, that was Wednesday night, wasn't it? And uh, that's in the land of Egypt shall die. And we tried to show you how that even that included not only the Egyptians, but it included the Israelites. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And we stated that all the firstborn, now listen carefully to this, because you don't want to get uh, off on the wrong thought. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt did die. With, the, with this exception, those of the Israelites, they had a substitute for their death. And so a lamb died in the place of the firstborn of those houses, where the, uh, the firstborn of those where they applied the blood of the lamb. So you see, uh, all the judgment against sin and every sinner upon this, in this world has been passed by the Lord, because we're all sinners. And really, every sinner shall die. The wages of sin is death. And you and I shall die. And not only die physically, but we shall die spiritually. And, and uh, so God made provision for us uh, who were dead spiritually and dead in trespasses and sins, and He provided a sacrifice so that our death was not our own. It, w it happened in Jesus. In other words, He took our place. Uh, you can find that in the New Testament, and we explained it quite a bit last week, so I won't rehearse it, but I will show you that uh, they had a substitute in the place of their death as far as the Israelites were concerned. But now let's go on and see what actually happens. 
uh, in, the, in the record here. In verse 6 says, And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue. Now, why? Why would not uh, uh, there be a cry throughout all the houses of the Israelites? Because they had applied the blood. Of, later on, we're reading in the 12th chapter, they applied the blood of the Passover lamb, and God would spare them and pass over them and would not suffer their death because their death was in the Lamb. You see? All right? It says, But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know how the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out. This is what Pharaoh would say to Moses. Get thee out, all of the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh. After Moses spoke these words now, it says he went out uh, from Pharaoh in great anger. In great anger. He was fed up with Pharaoh, wasn't he? He was fed up with all the times that he had hardened his heart. He was fed up with all the times that he had rejected the plea uh, to let God's people go. And then it says in verse 9, The Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Now then we come to the 12th chapter, which is the chapter of the Passover and the Passover lamb. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. To you. This was starting for Israel a new beginning. This month, he says, now I'm going to start, change the calendar. And this will be the beginning of months to you. And he says, speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house, take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. It says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from uh, the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole congregation, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. I want you to notice in this uh, command to take a lamb. First of all, in verse 3, it says, On the tenth day of the month, you shall take every, every man a lamb. Look at that, a lamb. In verse 4, And if the household be too, too little for the lamb, every man a lamb, and then the lamb. And then in verse 5, your lamb. See that? First it's a lamb. Because this was specific rule for all of them. Then the lamb, the specific one, and then it finally becomes personal. It becomes your lamb. What about this lamb? It was to be taken the tenth day of the month, verse 3. And verse uh, 5, it says, uh, and verse 6 says, You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. So it had to be thoroughly inspected for four days to make sure it was what? Without blemish and without spot. It had to be a male of the first year. There's so many things that are typical here. 
we find that Jesus was taken. He's the Lamb of God. He entered his public ministry. The tenth day of the month may represent the time that Jesus entered his public ministry. And he was scrutinized and looked upon for three and a half years uh, of examination. And Satan tried to tempt him and try him and test him. And, and men tried to uh, find fault with him and tried to catch him in, uh, with their words. And he was proven to be the lamb. And then it was to be, after inspected, killed on the, uh, at the proper time. Verse 6 says, You keep it up in the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. You know that word in the evening means between the two evenings. That Passover lamb was to be slain uh, precisely at the same time that Jesus died on the cross. Between the two evenings means between noon and six o'clock in the evening, which would be what? At three o'clock. And that's when Jesus died on the cross. That sacrifice was made after the same uh, order as the Old Testament Passover lamb, the sacrifice of Jesus. If you'll remember that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that uh, concerning the Corinthians to keep the Passover, not with, un, uh, not with leavened bread, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And he goes on to say, for even Christ, now listen carefully, our Passover is sacrificed for us. So there was a reference from the Passover lamb to Christ being our Passover that was sacrificed for us. There are so many things that were uh, of importance here that we could teach the type all the way through, but that's not our purpose at this time. In verse 8, or verse 7, it says, They shall take of the blood and strike it uh, on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein uh, they shall eat it. It was to... The blood of the lamb was to be applied to the, the side post and the lintel, and it was to be eaten. This lamb was to be eaten. Verse 8 says, They shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Look at this. This lamb was to be eaten. It was to be a lamb that was roast with fire. You're going uh, down verse. Uh, 9, it says, Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire, his head and his legs and with the pertinence thereof. You remember a few years back, well, I remember when I was out on the farm in Oklahoma, a fella comes by and he has these stainless steel waterless cookers, you know. Buy some of this because you're supposed to learn to cook your roast without uh, any putting water in it. And uh, he didn't know that that's the way Moses said to cook it way back there. He said, this is a new thing. You cook it without water. Moses said, eat of it roast with fire, not sodden at all with water, because you ruin it. And so uh, we find that, uh, you know, he's coming out with a new thing, and it was here all the time. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Every once in a while you'll find preachers come up, look, they got a brand new sermon, or they got a brand new something. And, you know, I've read sermons, and I've come up with a uh, basically a two or three or five point outline. I'll go back and four of them was in somebody else's mind. And sometimes a whole bit. And maybe two more in addition that I didn't get. So there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing very original. And God has given us things of old, hasn't He? Uh, and eat not of it raw. 
It was to be roast with fire. This speaks of the of the of Christ and his death, and that nothing can be added to his sufferings in death. No man can add to Christ's sufferings. It says it is finished when Jesus died, and it's not to be uh, mixed with anything else. Salvation is not to be mixed with anything other than the atonement and the redemptive work of Christ. It says, do not sodden it all with water. Do not water it down. Do not try to add to it. Do not try to make it different than the very uh, essential thing. And it says, uh, with bitter herbs, this speaks of the sufferings of Christ. Eat not of it raw. It has to be roast with fire. Christ in his life could not be sufficient. It had to be concerning his death. And then it says in verse uh, 10, And ye shall let nothing of it remain till the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded. Look at these, at, the, at Israel's attitude when they were to eat this Passover lamb. Your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. What does this speak of? They were ready for service, the loins girded. Gird up the loins of your mind, Peter says. Get ready to serve God. And then they were ready for marching. They were prepared to march. They had shoes on their feet. And then the last thing, they would eat with a staff in their hand. And this shows uh, their uh, pilgrim character, that they were going, they were traveling, that they were strangers and pilgrims, and they were going to go from place to place. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I and will smite. Now look at this. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And you know, back to this again. He did smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, including the firstborn of the houses of Israel. Only he had smitten them by his, their substitute, and this substitute was the lamb. You see, we were under the sentence of death. The Israelites' firstborn was under the sentence of death. But God found a remedy and a protection for them, just as He has found for you and I protection in Jesus Christ. And that protection is is sufficient for our complete redemption. And that's why that He could give them assurance that nothing would harm them, because they would take this lamb and they would apply the blood in the proper way. So Jesus died in our place, didn't He? The lamb died in their place. Now let's go on. Verse 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you, where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. God's going to make it an ordinance. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away the leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eat leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. You know, leaven speaks of, of that which was it permeates, and they had to eat unleavened bread. And it speaks of evil. Let me give you 1 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 5 and verse, uh, <clears throat> verse uh, 6 and 7. And 6, 7, and 8. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, 7, and 8. Okay? Uh, Paul says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Now, what is leaven? Does it mean, is it a picture of good or evil? 
It's a picture of evil. Now look, follow it. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump, for you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of what? Malice and wickedness. What's it compared to? It's compared to malice and wickedness. But he says, but with the unleavened bread of what? What is unleavened? Sincerity and truth. You see, one speaks of, of evil and the other speaks of good. Not with malice, the leavened bread of malice and weakness, but with the unleavened bread of what? Sincerity and truth. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Jesus said to the apostles, his disciples, he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And remember what they said? They said, well, is it because we've taken no bread? He says, no, beware of the doctrine or the teaching of the, of the leaven or the evil teaching of the Pharisees. That's what he's talking about. And he goes on to tell them that. But they didn't understand that at first. All right, let's go on with this. You have uh, chapter 12 of Exodus back there quickly. Uh, verse 16. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. The seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them. Say that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance. Now verse 18. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening ye shall eat unleavened bread until... The one and twentieth day, that's a whole week, of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he be a stranger or born in the land, uh, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop. And dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel of the and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out uh, at the door of his house until the morning. Now then, this hyssop reminds us of faith. You take they would kill this lamb, take the blood in the basin, and they would dip this hyssop in the blood in this basin of blood, and they would sprinkle it or apply it to the lintel, the top of the door, and the side posts of the door to protect. And it was a token of their protection. It was a symbol of the fact that they were trusting in what? Nothing but the blood. We sang the song. What shall wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it was a symbol that their protection and shelter was because of the blood. You know, let me say something here. You know, the lamb itself didn't save them. The blood of that lamb didn't save them until it was applied. It was necessary to have the lamb. And it was necessary for the shedding of the blood of that lamb. But it was also necessary to apply the blood of the lamb. And that application. You see, Jesus died for the sins of the world, right? And Jesus died on the cross. But everyone in the world will not be saved. Because everyone will not take that hyssop of faith and apply the blood. See, So you must receive that which is provided in order to be under His protection. And so we must understand that. And uh, there's a lot of people try to make the, the death of Christ a general and universal salvation. 
For as in Adam all die, in Christ are all made alive. But they take it out of the context. Yes, in Christ all shall be made alive, all that have faith in Christ. And it has to do with that application of the blood. All right, let's go on. We'll get some more of this as we go along. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through, uh, the, uh, through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel, look at this, and on the uh, two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door, now look, and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. I want to give you a little extra thought about Passover. I not say that the Lord will pass by, but He will pass over the door. And what will He do when He passes over? He will not suffer the destroyer. Passover, He will hover over. He will rest there to stand between the death angel because the blood is applied and protect that firstborn from the judgment falling. I want to give you some scriptures, a little thought about Passover that maybe you've never noticed. In Isaiah 31, verse 5. Isaiah 31, verse 5. Now look. As birds flying, so will the Lord... Of hosts, now look, defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it, and passing over, he will preserve it. In other words, he hovers over to protect it. Now, that's, I'm trying to give you a new thought about Passover. We sing the song, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. But the word Passover doesn't mean just to pass by you, but it means to protect you and stand between you and the the judging angel that would bring judgment upon you. So God, the uh, God through Christ's shed blood, stands over us and protects us from the future judgment. You see what I'm talking about? He hovers over us to defend us from the judgment of God. The judgment of God was resting upon all, wasn't it? And He was hovering over to protect them until that death angel had gone by. And he's hovering over to protect. Let me give you another scripture. Look in uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. It says this, As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them uh, on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. So you find this hovering over, the eagle stirring up her nest, and the fluttering over her young. As she flutters over her young, what does the eagle do? She protects her young from any harm or danger. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Now listen, look at the wording back in Exodus again. Verse uh, 23. Chapter 12, verse 23. Now look. The Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer doesn't say he'll pass by the door so that no one there will be judged, but he'll pass over the door, he'll hover over the door, and he will not suffer, by hovering over the door, he will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. See that? He's there for protection. This is a thought that uh, years ago Dr. Connolly gave me in connection with the Passover. He says it's a little additional thought to show us that really... Uh, it's God standing between us and judgment is what it amounts to. It's God standing between us who are the 
typical, typified by the firstborn, and the judgment that would fall upon us, and on the basis of what? The applied blood. It's just like John 5.24, if you'll remember. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, now listen carefully, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment or condemnation, but is passed from death into life. And so we are exempt from judgment because of what? The blood of Jesus. And because of faith, we've applied that blood by faith. And so there's a little additional thought, and uh, we're not trying to strain the Scripture or anything, but I'm trying to get you to see a fullness of the Word and the meaning of Passover. It's not just pass by, but pass over. And in passing over, the death angel's not passing over. He's going by, and he would smite the firstborn of the house. But God is passing over, He's hovering over, and He's protecting so that until that judgment is passed, and judgment will always be there for the sinner until uh, eternity, and so Christ is ultimately always standing between us and the judgment of God. And that's why uh, in Revelation chapter 20, you'll find that uh, God's people are already protected, and the judgment will fall upon who? The ungodly because the wicked dead will be resurrected and they'll not be able to stand before God and He will bring judgment upon them because there's nothing to protect them from that judgment. All right, let's go on with this verse. It says in verse 24, And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. It shall come to pass when you become in the land which the Lord will give you, according as He has promised, that you shall keep this service. It shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What? Mean ye by this service. Now remember, it's supposed to remind the children of what God has done for them. That ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the house of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on, on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up, rose up in the night, he and his, uh, all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as ye have said. No conditions here and no compromise, really. Remember how before, last Sunday night and Wednesday night, or at least the last two lessons, uh, we uh, taught you about the compromises that were given. But here there's no compromise offered, is there? Pharaoh's ready to get rid of him. And no conditions set. So he's ready. Also take your flocks and your herds. Remember, that was the last thing that he didn't want them to take, was their flocks and herds. He says, also take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they uh, might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their, ne- uh, their kneading troughs being uh, bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians. We told you last week in our lesson or two ago how that the word borrowed means that they demanded or they took, they received. I had some very words to describe that. Let's see if I can find it when it says they were to borrow. I don't find them 
right at this present time, but it was uh, in connection with them taking the things that uh, they were to take from the uh, from the uh, Egyptians. But anyway, the same word is mentioned here again. So it says here, let's get back to this now. Uh, chapter 12, verse um, 35. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses. You know, there's two things here. Ramses to suck off. Ramses means rolling away. Their sins were rolled away. And then to suck off. It means booths or uh, tabernacles. From Ramses to suck off. About 600,000 on foot there were men beside children. So they went to these two places. Their sins were rolled away. They were delivered. Our sins are redeemed and rolled away by Calvary's cross. And we come to suck off, which means booths or tabernacles. That means that after we're saved, we're still just strangers and pilgrims here and become strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And we're redeemed by the blood of Christ, but we're still going to wander until we reach our heavenly shores. And this life is only a pilgrimage for you and I. In verse uh, 38, And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. There was a great mixture, a great mixed multitude. You know, it reminds me of the church. Here's Israel delivered, 600,000 beside women and children. Or beside uh, children, it says. But there were 600,000 men, and it says beside children. And they, of course, mean women and children as well, because the women were not counted in the 600,000. So we don't know how many Israelites there were, exactly. But we do know that there was a great mixed multitude. We said the church... Is also has uh, God's people in it, but there's also a mixed multitude of the world that comes into uh, Christianity and claims to be a part of it. And you know who it was that gave the children of Israel so much trouble during this wilderness journey? It was that mixed multitude, always trying to get them to go back and need you, always trying to sow discord, always trying to be worldly, always trying to get their eyes off of Moses and off of God. That's what caused the trouble. You know, I love to have a church full of God's people. And the people that come in that are unsaved, I want to, I want them to be saved so we'll still have a church full of God's people, right? Because you have a better fellowship. You get a bunch of worldly people in the church and try to run the church and you've got a worldly church. That's what it amounts to. So we want God's people in the church. You say, well, do, do we want to seek the lost? Certainly. We want to get them in. We want them to hear the gospel and believe on Christ and accept Him and be saved and become a child of God. And we still have a church full of Christians, won't we? I love it that way. And then you don't have all that mixed multitude causing the trouble. Remember, they wanted the onions and the garlic back in Egypt, didn't they? They wanted to go in the flesh pots. They said, oh, would to God we... We're back in Egypt. We're going to die in this wilderness. And they murmured and complained against Moses and against God. We'll find that later on. All right, let's go on down. In verse 39, They baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth uh, out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared uh, for themselves any victual. Now, the sojourning of the children of Israel 
uh, who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. Now, verses 43 through 51 are kind of a special passage of Scripture. I want you to look at it carefully, and I think you'll see some uh, reference as to the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. What the Passover was to Israel, the Lord's Supper is to the New Testament church. And there's a lot of things, not word for word, but there's a lot of things that are typified here that also are symbolical of some very uh, scriptural and doctrinal things concerning the Lord's Supper. And I want you to see this as we look at it. Verse 43. This is a section much to be studied. And it's very detailed. And there's no question about it. Look in verse 43. The Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, <clears throat> and I'll slow down a bit. This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. You see, God sets some rules and regulations about the Passover. Can you imagine those people, that mixed multitude, saying, Now look, Moses, what will it hurt for these people to eat of this Passover? After all, you know, you don't have to be so doctrinally sound. God told Moses, he says, There shall no stranger eat thereof. See, we don't have any right to change the law of the Lord's Supper any more than Moses had any right to change the law concerning the Passover. Now, follow it on down. It says, But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, in other words, if he meets the criteria, if he meets the condition, it says, Then shall he thereof. See that? If he meets the condition, and for Israel it was circumcision, that meant separation to God as far as Israel was concerned. That meant, meant keeping His covenant, didn't it? That meant obeying God in, the, in reference to this ordinance or this rite of circumcision for the Jews. And He says, you can, if He's circumcised, then He can eat thereof. Verse 45, A foreigner and an hired servant shall not eat thereof. He says, A foreigner, a stranger, a hired servant shall not eat thereof. If one in one house shall it be eaten, thou shalt not carry forth all of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. Look, in one house shall it be eaten. He says you're not going to observe this Passover supper all over the country. Now our house joined the house. By the way, one house would be one house, and also they had houses that were joined, which would be in connection with that one house. A house that's joined to the house would be the same as that one house. Remember it said, A neighbor next unto him, let them eat it. If the, land, if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor that's joined to him next to him, let him eat it. By the way, the household, <clears throat> the lamb was never too little for the household. But sometimes the household was too little for the lamb. And he says, let him and his neighbor next to him eat it. And that was talking about a house joined a house. 
But it says, you shall not carry it from house to house. Look, in one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry it forth out of the flesh abroad out of the house. Not to take it out here in the public and do it. Can you imagine in that day uh, some of the people saying, Now look, how about all these other people around here? Aren't you going to let them in the community and everyone invite them to, the, to take this, uh, this uh, Passover supper? Moses says, no. God says in the house. God says in this particular house. And he says, you'll not go from one place to another. You're not going to carry any of the flesh abroad. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of our house, out of the house. Neither shall you break a bone thereof. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. In other words, all of them kept it in their own particular local residence. You see, all of God's church, can, all of the Christians in the world can keep the, the, observe the Lord's Supper, only they do it on a local basis. See what I'm talking about? They did it on a local basis. They did it in their own local church. And it is a church ordinance. You know, uh, I told you before at one time, preaching on the Lord's Supper and baptism, how that uh, a few years back, you remember, uh, Rex Humbard, he was had a big thing going up there in Ohio and was a nationwide evangelist, etc. He'd go over to the Holy Land and via satellite, he'd tell people in their homes and various churches and around the country, now you all get your stuff there, you know, your your bread and your uh, and your cup of wine. And I have all my reserves about what's to be taken there, too. And you've heard me preach on uh, alcoholism, and I covered that in that particular message. I believe it's the juice of the grape. I don't believe it's intoxicating wine. And churches all over the country observe what they call the Lord's Supper or whatever kind of communion they have with uh, intoxicating wine, and I don't believe the Bible's teaching that, and you can... Uh, look at it in in all the terms it's involved. But anyway, be that as it may, this fellow wanted us to take it via satellite. In other words, through the uh, medium of television. Well, that's no local church ordinance to do it that way. Just like the other day, Brother Randy, somebody wanted him uh, to perform a marriage ceremony in the Methodist church. And he was to go down there and they wanted to take communion. Take communion with a Baptist preacher in the Methodist church? And him give them the communion. There's no no relation to a scriptural uh, a stand for that. Besides, we don't we don't give communion in the way that other churches give it. Every individual takes the Lord's supper, and we take it together. And there's no hierarchy, and there's no big guy and little guy there. We're all on the same level. You have may have directions. You have, may have men that. Give it to you, serve the elements, but when you take that, we're all on the same level. You may have the preacher that will bring you a message concerning what it means, but we're still all on the same level. I'm eating that bread and drinking that cup to remember Christ's death and His shed blood until He comes again, the same as you're doing that. And there's no, there's no priestly function about it whatsoever. You see, we get into all this... Uh, stuff that people have created and imagined and thought, well, it looks good, it sounds good, and why not do it, you know? It looks like it's very uh, orderly, very fashionable, very uh, ritualistic, very ceremonial. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Here, notice what it says. 
Not taken from house to house. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Now look, verse 48. And when the stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, what is he going to have to do? Let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. See, God sets the regulations, doesn't he? He says if he wants to take it, he has to become one of you. If a person wants to take the Lord's Supper in this church, he has to become a Christian. He has to be saved first. He has to follow the Lord in baptism. And then he is ready to take the Lord's Supper in the local congregation. And that's really what it amounts to. And you say, well, preacher, that's just being real uh, narrow. And that's not it being broad and accepting all the general public into your congregation and saying people cannot or can take the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying you can or you can't. I'm saying that this is the order that God has established. Now, if you break the law, I can't help it. Moses could tell these people that's the way it's to be done. And some stranger come in would not submit to the rite of circumcision and say, well, I'm going to take it anyway. And probably he could sneak in and get the job done. But he would be out of order, and he would be breaking God's law, wouldn't he? Now, I'm not going to sit as a watchdog over the table of the Lord or the Lord's Supper, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible tells us, and I'm going to tell you that it is a local church ordinance. I'm going to tell you this for everyone that is one of God's people and has identified himself as such. See, that covenant of circumcision identified that stranger, whoever was that's converted to become an Israelite and to become one of them, and that identified him as such. Just as baptism identifies you as a, as a member of this local church and as one that has followed the Lord in baptism, that has been uh, buried with him and risen again uh, with him, and you have become one of this local congregation. And that's exactly the way that the Passover was to be kept. For it was not to be going from house to house. Now look. Verse uh, 48. Let's read it again. Then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is home-born, and unto the stranger that so sojourneth among you. God says there's not going to be any difference. All are going to have to meet the same criteria. All are going to have to come in the same condition. And he says, I'm not going to change this law just to uh, involve the stranger that comes around. Look, one law shall be to him that is homeborn, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded uh, Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Now I want to pick up in our next lesson in the 13th chapter this Wednesday night, and we'll try to cover it uh, a little faster as as we go along here.